Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I cover a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. This particular episode is about a video game called Snatcher. I won't go into too much detail about what that is now, but um, for those of you who don't know, when I get into the conversation with my guest, we'll go to, into a bit of background and, and describe what the game is. But just to say it's basically uh, a game's, uh, kind of detective game set in a cyberpunk dystopia, and it's made or designed by Hideo Kojima, who's most famous for the uh, Metal Gear Solid series. Uh, it came out, I think, in the late 80s in Japan, but um, over in, in Europe and America, it came out in the in the mid-90s. Joining me to talk about the game is Trevor Strunk. He is uh, an academic, but he also has a video game podcast called No Cartridge. And again, we'll, um, we'll talk about that when I get into my conversation with him. But just to say that that's uh, definitely worth checking out if you're if you're into video games. Briefly, I just want to say again, thank you for those of you who support me on Patreon. I've been rolling out some bonus episodes uh, on Utopia and Music, um, a video game called Not Tonight, and uh, Cowboy Bebop. And yeah, a few people have come back to me to say they've been drawing about the stuff. So yeah, that's cool to hear. And um, if you want to hear, hear any of that stuff, then if you go to uh, patreon.com slash utopianhorizons, then you can uh, sign up and get access to those extra episodes um, and, the, and the ones that are to come. I also wanted to say I noticed a couple of new reviews on iTunes as well. So thank you very much to those of you that gave me those. That's also helpful um, for those of you uh, who don't want to or can't afford to support me on the Patreon, iTunes reviews uh, or whatever. It's called like Apple Podcasts, isn't it? And I always call it iTunes. But regardless, those reviews are, are really helpful. So um, And uh, just very nice and motivating to read when people say nice stuff about the podcast. Yeah, thank you for those. And if any of you haven't reviewed the, the podcast yet and are enjoying it, that would be cool. Um, so yeah, I think I'll leave it there and keep keep this intro relatively short this time. I'm sure people are fed up with me going on about the Patreon and uh, iTunes reviews. So yeah, I will leave you now with my conversation with Trevor on Snatcher. Oh, one other thing, um, we do talk a bit about uh, kind of current events, but uh, this was recorded a few weeks ago. So I think everything that we talk about is still very relevant, but um, it's just things might have progressed a bit since then. So if you're wondering why it seems like we're a little bit behind, uh, it's because we are, because we spoke a few weeks ago. So, yeah. Uh, here is me and Trevor from the past talking about a video game. Joining me now is Trevor Strunk. Um, he has a podcast called No Cartridge Audio and a website called No Cartridge. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Trevor. Of course. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, before we get started, uh, would you like to um, explain to people what uh, No Cartridge is? They perhaps might be interested in it. Yeah, yeah. So No Cartridge is a podcast that I put out weekly. Um, uh, generally, I, I would say like 90% of the time, it's me talking with one or more people uh, just about video games that they like and um, tapping into some element of it that's a little deeper, I guess, um, either the aesthetic or the political or the social, um, something you wouldn't necessarily uh, hear about or think about just um, casually when thinking about video games. So, um, you know... It, I've I've had it described as like uh, philosophy in video games or literary criticism in video games, but it's a little less uh, heady than that. I would say uh, 
It's a little bit like uh, the the Fresh Air podcast. If all it was was uh, talking to people about the video games they played or made. Okay. Do you, you do have do you have like an academic background though? You do, don't you? I do. Yeah, I have a I have a PhD in English. So, and I I, I I hesitate to call it my day job because arguably the podcast is probably as much time, if also now as much earning potential. But the uh, my my day job is um, an adjunct professor at a at a college nearby. So I teach English here and there, um, but mostly yeah, English background. Cool. Okay. Well. Um... Trevor has come on to the podcast today to talk about Snatcher. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, it's a video game that was released in 1988 originally in Japan. Um, on a number, it's been released on a number of different platforms, but in the West, people, most people will be familiar with it through its release on the Sega CD in 1994. And it's a cyberpunk detective game where you play as a guy called... Uh, Gillian Seed, who is a junker um, who has lost his memories. And the job of a junker is to search for snatchers who have taken the place of real people. So kind of like, we'll describe more of that a bit later on, but kind of like androidy things that take over the place of people. So he's, he's yeah. basically Deckard from Blade Runner, right? It's yeah, a- it's very Blade Runner. Absolutely. I mean, even even down to the gun, right? Like it's it's very, it's very, it's almost self-consciously Blade Runner-y. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, so it is. So this is it's set up as like um, an investigation, a kind of like a, a visual novel slash point and click investigation kind of thing. So you're like uh, talking to people, searching for clues, trying to um, uncover of the mystery. That's basically how the game progresses, and it's uh, very of its time in many ways, but uh, I think surprisingly relevant to some stuff that's happening today, as we'll get onto. So this game is uh, is kind of obscure because, um, as I said, it came out on the Sega CD in Europe and the US, uh, which was pretty much a failure as uh, a console didn't sell particularly well. So it's kind of an obscure game. Um, I had this, one. You it, had one. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, well, I didn't have Snatcher, but I had a Sega CD. Yeah. Okay, that's rare. We bought one. Yeah, we bought one because we thought it was going to be like a super successful system and it, it wasn't but we definitely i definitely you know enjoyed playing sonic cd and sewer shark and stuff i mean it's just like that whole fmv time was really uh <laughs> it was kind of like just a bust so you, you knew that cds were the future already but you just hadn't yeah you picked the wrong i yeah i picked the wrong horse well it was my it was one of those things where um when my folks got uh divorced uh they were still friendly but like I had my Super Nintendo at my mom's and then I got a Sega at my dad's and I'm pretty sure I have got the Sega because he got it because he kind of like would play it at night or whatever. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but, um, we got a Sega CD on that and cause he saw it and he was like, yep, uh, you know what? Let's, let's do it. It was like a splurge for him. And it turned out to just be like a terrible, terrible (laughs) (laughs) choice. Yeah, sure. Right. So, I mean, Part of the reason this game has like a still has like a strong reputation, despite being obscure because of you know that failed console, I think it's probably because it was um, directed, I think, and written by Hideo Kojima. Yeah. Um, for people who don't know games particularly well, um, I get the feeling that a lot of people that listen to my podcast do know games, but uh, there's probably people who don't as well. So, could you explain a bit for people about who uh, Hideo Kojima is and why that would kind of be? Why would that kind of give this game like a, a status that would keep it relevant? Yeah, sure. So Hideo Kojima is uh, probably the best known uh, 
video game auteur, like, uh, you know, if, if, in film as there's sort of like an auteur theory uh, that gives us uh, people like, I don't know, like Fellini or, or um, well, Fellini's a good example, but uh, video game art auteurism sort of runs the same um, basic theoretical gamut where you have uh, creators that sell products based on just their being attached to it, even though especially in video games, their actual, um, what they actually do as head of a project is uh, much more obscure. Um, mm -hmm. So Kojima is interesting too, because he's not like Shigeru Miyamoto is the Nintendo version of this, who sort of like uh, is uh, related to Mario and, you know, Zelda and all the, all the various Nintendo people. Uh, Kojima is just associated with one series uh, in particular, uh, which is Metal Gear and Metal Gear Solid. And he is sort of like, I think like if you were to name the most famous protagonist of Metal Gear Solid, uh, you'd probably say Solid Snake, who's the the main sort of uh, special ops character in it. Yeah. Um, and then you'd say Kojima um, mm. because the sort of like political fantasia of the piece and like the the ways that it it's kind of about contemporary politics and contemporary ideas that is so like caught up in his persona at this point. That, uh, I mean, I don't know if it was when he created Snatcher. Snatcher seems like weirdly more playful and, and open to, to being different than that, uh, than today, than Kojima of the, of the present, Definitely. but he is very much a, a locked in kind of guy that way. Yeah. You very much get, you're very kind of aware of the fact that you're playing a Kojima game a lot of the time, I think, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, so like one of the, uh, for, for, I mean, you know this, but for the people who in your audience who don't like, uh, one of the hallmarks of Kojima games is that they are um, very self-aware. Mm. And, uh, and you know, one of the most famous moments of this is in Metal Gear Solid uh, 1, which was this sort of path-breaking game for the PlayStation, uh, probably one of the most massively popular games um, of its time. Um, there's a boss fight where uh, you have to put your controller on the ground and the, the boss makes it move by using the vibrate function. Um there's a uh, he changes the the TV settings in in the uh, you know quote unquote changes the TV settings so you can't see him during the fight you have to switch what port your controller is plugged in all this sort of wacky stuff um, and that shows up in Snatcher uh, however many years earlier which is kind of interesting because like you see a lot of moments where your your electronic sidekick Metal Gear is uh, is saying things like you know. Um, Gilliam, you're in a video game, right? Like you understand you're in a video game and you're being controlled by the person playing it. And then he'll be like, well, yeah, of course. And you'll move on. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very clear that Kojima is doing this. Yeah. But like you say, I think it feels like, and you said it was Snatcher's more playful. It feels like it's more in Snatcher when it does it, it feels like it's more of a joke, I think. Whereas in Metal yeah. Gear where it does it, it's kind of uh, trying to reach for something <laughs> a bit more, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Um, well, it's like it tries to be artsy, right? Or like yeah, it tries sure. to like make some sort of big like capital S statement. Whereas I think in in Snatcher, it it really feels like he's just kind of having fun. Um, which yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's a charming element to it. It sort of feels like um, you know Kojima's story is so interesting because he he um, basically like um, he kind of went broke uh, and just was completely hopeless and, you know, just full of effort at making these games. And it's all he really wanted to do before he got Metal Gear out. And like, I think he had a number of attempts that didn't work out. And, you know, he basically like, before he did Metal Gear, he called his mom and his mom was like, no, you got to keep trying. 
Um, and Snatcher kind of, I think more so than the Metal Gear Solid games, has that element of Kojima to it, where it's just a guy who's clearly absolutely in love with just doing the medium. Like, he's just very, very into the medium, very into, like, the 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 freedom video games are giving him at that point in time. So, like, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge the Metal Gear Solid games for not being like that. You know, he's in the industry for that long. He's going to change his approach. But it really does feel like a game that is very much um, at home in its medium. Sure. So let's get on to talking a bit about um, the kind of specifics of Snatcher's yeah, world. Definitely. Kind of back up of it. So um, this is a post-disaster world. It's set after something kind of vague event called the Catastrophe which is uh, happened after an explosion in 1996 in the game's timeline. Um, and that released some a biological weapon called like, Lucifer Alpha, uh, and that killed... Nicely, nicely named. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah. a fall. Yeah. <laughs> that kills like 80% of the population of Europe and Eurasia. Um, something which I, I don't know, I don't particularly know... I'm not like an expert on like Japanese media or anything called Japanese culture. I don't know how much you um, know about that. So I, I don't know if you, you have any thoughts on this, but I just always think it's interesting um, with Japanese post-disaster fiction. Um, obviously a lot of post-disaster fiction is like post-nuclear event. And it's always interesting to me that Japan's the only place that's um, actually like experienced that disaster, which I think quite often lends it something different or extra if you know what i mean yeah and you know i actually noticed a lot i was noticing it this time around and it it it's not uncommon in japanese uh media to see like you know like when you're I, i'm th- I, i'm not pulling anything specific to mind at this point but you think about any of these like uh, futuristic stories a lot of them uh, especially if they come from japan have the threat of nuclear annihilation kind of pulled off where it's like you know at the beginning or if you go through the the um computer files on jordan the um the ai computer that uh, uh gillian has access to it talks about how basically like all the countries did away with their nuclear weapons like well before lucifer alpha happened which is wild because like it it takes it off the table in a way and i don't know like to my mind it always strikes me i think it was um Darn, I forgot his... Oh, it's uh, the noise artist Mersbo, uh, who's Japanese, said, like, he is a th- his theory is that the um, the nuclear bombs were so... Like, the, the, the fact that Japan was bombed was so deeply affecting um, that it basically scarred the country to the point that, like, it, it expresses everything via the subconscious response to those explosions. So, on, you know, I don't know how right he is, but, like, on some level... If that is true, you can understand why it would almost seem either too obvious or too sacred to even couch your disasters that way. Mm, sure. Um, so this is very obviously uh, a piece of cyberpunk media. Um, what I wanted to something I wanted to ask you about that is um, obviously the the kind of foundational cyberpunk texts like Neuromancer and Blade Runner and whatever borrowed or expropriated however you want to term it a lot of stuff from Japan like mm-hmm. they were no, taking, yeah for sure yeah and um this is obviously like Japan reflecting that interpretation back but I found it interesting like t- to me it didn't um 
feel like a particularly Japanese interpretation of cyberpunk in the say some of something like Akira or, or, or Ghost in a Shell. This felt like it had it felt like a very American vision. It felt like it was you know just as um, just as those original cyberpunk texts were taking stuff from Japan and kind of sending those back. It felt like it was sending something from America back. It's kind of a strange. Mm-hmm. Thing. I don't know how you felt about that. No, I agree. And there's like a when when um, Gillian goes to the um, sort of a black market area called uh, Kojima. Definitely, you know, some of the stuff he he takes from Metal Gear, where you know this 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 world apparently exists in the same uh, universe as Metal Gear. As uh, like the engineer makes your little robot pal look like a tiny Metal Gear, and he says like, "Oh, I just you know I named him after that crisis that happened in the early uh, you know in the last part of the 20th century." So like clearly we're supposed to be in the same continuum, um, which at the time I'm sure was playful, and now probably creates all sorts of uh, <laughs> bizarre yeah. can- canon theories by people online. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, like you're you're in Plato's Plato's Cavern the the black market area and uh and Gillian says something like this doesn't feel like Japan. Um and that sentiment's kind of echoed a lot in Neo Kobe, which is the the fake city that you're in, uh the sort of like man-made city that uh takes to the outer islands and makes them one big island. And like it, yeah, it seems like the the idea that like this doesn't really feel like Japan as you would know it is very much at the forefront of what everyone thinks about Neo Kobe, which I mean, for a game that ostensibly is, you know, going to be set in and in the milieu of futuristic Japan, it's kind of notable. Yeah, I think, I don't know, you find a lot of um, Western influence in a lot of Kojima's games, I think, and he's quite obviously very interested in Western culture. So I guess that accounts for it. And we've we've already mentioned Blade Runner and it's like pretty obviously taking a lot of stuff from that so for sure i i guess that kind of accounts for it um to an extent i mean i guess but even blade runner uh kind of appropriates from japanese culture a lot right like i mean there's the kind of i I feel like that kind of like stacked one on top of another neon uh like cityscape uh, it couldn't really happen without the the sort of asian metropolis right like there's something about that that looks so much more like tokyo or shanghai than it does new york or chicago and like Blade Runner is all about that, and and so so Snatcher. But you're right; like it doesn't, for whatever reason, if Neuromancer feels like strangely like American, uh, you know, uh, we could say like American with Japanese characteristics. This just feels like um, uh, American with American characteristics, but produced in Japan. Yeah, just odd, but yeah, very strange. Yeah. So yeah, we mentioned the the Snatchers. So. Um, they are. Uh, we don't know exactly where they are at the beginning of the game, I guess, but they're like we know that they're kind of robot skeletons that are used to replace people. And... They look like the uh, they look like the Terminators from the James Cameron movies. Yeah, like, they particularly do. from the James Cameron movies. I guess the later ones too, but yeah, just like the the Terminators without skin. So there you go. It's another thing borrowed from a, a Western western culture yes, definitely yeah um and yeah what these snatches tend to go after um powerful people or like people with influence and again we don't don't really know why um so actually i think before we get on to talking talking about them some more i just want to ask you've already mentioned the little computer that exists in the game that has a lot of 
background uh, information on it if you care to look through that it's like an optional thing you can scroll through and read a lot of stuff about the society and history and stuff like that um this is something which a device that is kind of a, a unique thing to video games um this kind of you know optional thing of looking through stuff which can be done in various different ways famously often done with audio diaries that are left lying around in video game environments <laughs> or right. documents that you find also you know talking to other characters to find out information and so on. not always as blatant as a kind of just a computer with info listed on it um i just wanted to ask if that's something that you think has some value in it or is effective um either in the case of this specific example or just in games in, in general yeah you know i it's funny because I, I love um, System Shock 2. It's one of my favorite games. but And actually, it's, I, I didn't play it in its time. I played it way, way later. But it, it still holds up. It's an amazing game. And it really is the game that introduced the idea of the audio diary, um, I think. Like, I would I would say. Uh, maybe my history is wrong there, but it seems to me that that's the case. No, it's, it's, um, or at least right. popularized it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's brilliantly used in that in that instance. But I think, like, as much as I like that and I like the audio diary conceit, there's something, as you said, like the audio diaries are always just hanging around and it's like, oh, look, someone recorded themselves saying exactly the thing I wanted to know about, like the way the space sh- uh, station was built. Like it's very, it's very artificial, yeah. um, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of the point. But I think I, there's something to the the codex, right, where um, like Jordan or like in the um, in the Elder Scrolls games where and I guess the Fallout games, too, where there's just like massive series of books or various like computers or people who have an unimaginable amount of text is written in there. Um, Planescape Torment was a, an early RPG that had this, like the actual game book was like longer than a novel. Um, and like, it's just cause you can talk to anyone and they'll tell you anything you want to know about this world. Um, I think that's cool. Like I, I, what I like about that, I think it's clumsy and I think it's clunky and, and they've video games have never really found out the best way of dealing with it. Um, so to me, even like this obvious version where it's like, here's a computer with all the information if you want it is sort of charming because it, it sort of acknowledges the fact that no one's come up with a good answer for this. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I like that. I like that it kind of presents you with this extremely complex world. And instead of doing the, the kind of like comic book movie, uh, trope of being like, okay, so we're going to spend the first 20 minutes explaining this stuff to you. So you know what's going on in the rest of the movie. It kind of just leaves it there. And it's like, if you want to know more about this, feel free. But, you know, some people are just going to want to play the shooty parts. Some people are just going to solve the mystery. Some people are going to want to know the lore. Uh, you know, it's there if you want to learn about it. It's not if you don't. And I think I think there's some real value in an entertainment media that's able to take its, uh, the kind of like larger sociopolitical bits and have them in there, but only for the people who want them. Yeah, sure. So in terms of the specific of the stuff that's on the computer, um, going back to talking about stuff's ways in which this game is, is surprisingly relevant. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there about immigration and response to immigration, which I can't quite work out whether I couldn't quite work out the game's <laughs> position on that, like whether it was being. Yeah, like, it's a little weird. Uh, it, it almost like explicitly has plays both sides where it's like, People came in and it was fine, and then it's like immigration came, uh, immigration increased, and crime went up. Yeah, it's like, what is, what's going on here? Yeah, so it it says so it talks about 
uh it talks about yeah a lot of immigrants coming and then there being an increased uh it says asset distribution gap between the rich and the poor and says that this contributed to the social and uh ethnic splintering of the populace who ended up with a north rich and a poor south um but yeah it's mm-hmm. not quite clear whether it's like um blaming immigrants for that or kind of suggesting that immigrants are an exploited class that's allowed them to create a rich north Does that yeah make- it's it's unclear i mean like the the north is not portrayed well i mean gibson um the the cop that you basically you start the game out by by examining like why he was killed um and that sort of like leads you down the rabbit hole but i mean gibson doesn't seem like a, a particularly noble man um he's all right like <laughs> especially early on he's fine but you know he eats endangered species and fills his house with like antiques and just kind of like exists as a in this dangerous role while ignoring his daughter um and if you read the did you did you actually i i just wanted to ask because i i out of curiosity did you end up reading the stuff on jordan um yeah but uh it's a little while ago that i played it now and i have a terrible, oh, sure, sure, I have sure, a terrible yeah. memory so um yeah i did read it but i've probably forgotten <laughs> no it was more it was more out of curiosity because like for me that was that was a weirdly immersive part of the game uh just like learning about that world it reminded me a lot of um reminded me a lot of like when i was a kid and learning about I don't know, like, uh, you know, any various RPG I was playing and being like, oh, so this was the king then. And, and what happened after that? Um, so if, if it, I it, wasn't playing this for the podcast, I don't know if I would have read it because I don't know. I tend to, I, t- I, t- I think I tend to like it in games when that kind of extra stuff is something that you kind of absorb as like a more okay. vague sense if you know what i mean like if the i mean that's, a, li- that's certainly more elegant yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i don't know but then also in terms of i also don't think i think this is quite uh unique in terms of having in a video game having a bit of text talking about the kind of politics of, of immigration and kind of yeah if, so that if i'd seen that then that might have interested me i have to read it as well i think i mean the interesting thing i think about the reason i brought up jordan was because there's a there's a little bit in there on witch hunts and the the fact that um you know when the snatchers first came around the the north used that as an excuse to go after people in the south um and they you know basically uh killed a lot of people they just didn't very much like and they named it after the salem witch trials and uh and then they realized, like, oh, actually, the Snatchers are all getting VIPs. And then the 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 entry ends with something like, and then all the all the witch hunts abruptly stopped for some reason. <laughs> um, so, so there's, I mean, there's there, there's clearly a tongue in cheek quality to the to the uh, the treatment of the North. But you're right, it, it's it's split. But what I but, what I that, that, what I lo- sorry, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say that example that you've given is 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 one where you feel like it's very much like on the side of immigrants. It's like oh, something bad happened, so everybody obviously blamed poor immigrants and, like, started killing them, and they had nothing to do with it. And this is what happens. This is, you know, this is what happens a lot now, like, when there are difficulties, like, people blame poor immigrants instead of, like, billionaires or whatever. Yeah, and then, but then also it says, like, there's a number of times where it pulls the the kind of, like, really pernicious conservative move where it says like but you know crime is really bad in the south and it's real dangerous down there and yeah. uh that's where all the crime is so you know um but then it also is like super careful when it's talking about uh 
you know, people without IDs or people who like erase their identity. Um, and they're like, yeah, like those folks, uh, definitely, um, you know, they, they, they're able to, they're, they're smart and they're capable and they're able to like remove their ID. They're not like the homeless who due to systemic, uh, cruelty and like actions against them have lost the basic, uh, basic ten have had the basic, uh, rights of their, of like survival taken away from them. And it's like, that's really woke about homelessness, but, uh, it's yeah. like, it's just a, in a weird, in a weird paragraph about how crummy the South is. Um, it's, it's, it's a strange moment, mm. but like, oh, uh, just to, to get this thought off my mind, um, a lot of that codex stuff, it really feels like, and this is true. This is apparently true of Kojima now, like a lot of it feels like that Kojima sense where he's, he has like 800 ideas and he wants to get them all in there and part of the game. And, you know, once, once he's powerful enough in, in the height of his powers and like Metal Gear Solid five, he's, you know, calling PAs at, uh two in the morning and saying, get me multiplayer on this game. And they have no idea how to do it, but they are, you know, the company says do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, in 88, I doubt he was like that. So I think a lot of these, like a lot of this seems like he wanted Snatcher to be a lot bigger. Like some of this stuff seems like plot lines or, or side quests or something like that, that just couldn't be there. So they kind of written about on the side. They, they have like a very unique quality that way. I think that's a good point actually, because yeah, again, for people who don't know, one of the, um kojima tends to be kojima games tend to be very popular and tend to be well received but uh, when they are criticized one of the things that people often say is like this guy needs an editor um and i think yes. you're right in saying um yeah he wouldn't have had the kind of power that he did later to do like hour-long cutscenes and um you know just have that be a thing that's okay so that makes this would sense. be a lot less elegant of a game if uh, kojima 20 2018 made it like it might have been cool and i i'm sure i would play it and enjoy it but like there's a kind of like leanness to it now that i admire that would not be there so let's get on to the snatches and the idea of body snatching obviously the yeah most obvious uh, kind of uh, precursor to that is invasion of the body snatchers, and you know, this is a, a common thing, like the body snatching story. Um, it's often in, often in the in the past uh, been read as like fear of communism, socialism. Um, do you have any idea or sense of what it might be about in this game? Um, we've already mentioned the immigration stuff. I don't know if that's something. If Japan is um often seen as a very kind of isolationist country so mm-hmm. uh yeah i just wonder if you had, had any thoughts on on what might be going on there yeah i was definitely trying to puzzle that out too because whenever you see like you know these people are being replaced and you can't tell it's always a good a good tell that there's going to be like a uh a sort of like fear of the other plot line going on yeah um but i you know i think honestly like in this game it it seems that it really seems like, and this is what threw me off a long t- for a lot long time about Snatcher. Um, there's no clear, there's no clear bad actor for most of the game. Like the and like even in the way that like the 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 Snatchers kind of appear out of nowhere. Like it's like Lucifer Alpha happened, and then we all kind of figured out Lucifer Alpha stopped being deadly after six months, and then you know we all kind of chilled out for a while and then we found the snatchers and then snatchers started killing people and you know stealing their skin and stuff and it's like wow 
that that's it, it almost is like the fear of the other is the fear of just like technological displacement or catastrophe or something it almost feels like faded in a in a very sort of like persona kind of way like uh like those games where you just kind of wander into the game in the midst of a of an apocalypse um it i i didn't pick up like i guess i guess in some ways probably um it's a fear of russians uh and sort of like a post post cold war thing um which i mean is very very of the moment i suppose uh fear fear of russians yeah uh but um yeah i mean since lucifer alpha came from russia since russia took most of the punishment up there since the snatchers are if i'm uh, remembering totally correctly uh tied back to russia like that that all that all speaks to like probably a fear like a, a post cold war thing um i don't know though it feels to me like it's less politically minded and more existentially minded mm. i think that's fair enough i mean it is definitely quite kind of vague and more hard to pin down i think than in other kind of other examples of like this device which is like that's the reason i asked you the question is because i genuinely couldn't kind of pin down like who was meant to be like the other in this case as you say i think i think that's intentional yeah there's like there's these moments where uh gillian will talk to uh his wife on the phone and that's an interesting relationship because his he and his wife split up because they both have the same amnesia and uh this is like this is one of the times where like I think we put up with a lot of bad from Kojima because the good is like genuinely sort of like interesting in a novelistic way. Um and this is one of Kojima's really good things where he's like, yeah, they uh they were married and then they both have exactly the same amnesia. So they try to make it as a couple, but like since being a couple is generally pre- pre- like prefaced on having memories in common with each other and having sort of a built shared relationship mm. they like both really care about each other but can't have a marriage like it just doesn't work mm. um i thought that was kind of an interesting an interesting touch but uh he'll have conversations with jamie his wife uh sort of a strange wife and say you know just watch out for the snatchers jamie um and she'll be like oh those are just a myth like the 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 way that like everyday people don't don't seem to care about the snatchers but the junkers are like almost constantly being lethally attacked by them is just a strange, like it, it's almost, it's almost surreal. Like the game has this surreal quality. The, the, the threat does seem like very out there. Well, I mean, the idea of kind of the uh, authorities or like police caring about him ordering people would certainly tie into a cold war thing. I think, I mean, there's this, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember like there's this, uh, I can't remember where I've heard it or read it or whatever, but I'm sure there was some study about um, the Cold War with like both sides um, massively overestimated like the power and uh, influence of the other like during the during the Cold War. So um, the idea that the authorities would kind of be obsessed and see this threat everywhere is kind of ties into that, I guess. But um, yeah, for sure. So um, being as you've uh, already mentioned Russia, so. Uh, as you suggested, the the revelation we get is the the snatchers. It's basically all about Russia. So these are evolved life forms that were created in the depths of the the Kremlin. And you know, as we go through the game, there's various clues about Russia. The snatchers have Russia memorabilia and stuff like that. They're very and... susceptible to sunburn, like Russians are. <laughs> sure. i don't know if that's a thing about russians or not yeah um so yeah the the whole idea is that these were created as a plot to as, as communism was facing extinction these were created as a plot to like replace the leaders of their enemies and control their politics and economy 
Um, so yeah, like control the world's leaders and therefore control the thought of, of the world. And they're, they're meant to be all over the place. So one of them says we have comrades throughout the city more than you can imagine. Um, so right. I thought that was very interesting, this idea of Russia um, replacing these with puppets in terms of the context of some of the, what I would call hysteria about Russia now. Um, particularly... Well, and I mean, in the, because actually that's a really good thought. I should let you finish that. But like the, I was going to say like also given that what, what like, America um, was doing in the sort of like Marshall Plan style attacking of communism was generally putting American puppets in place in communist states. <laughs> like that's basically its entire uh, political um, program yeah, sure. in South America and Central America. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, you wouldn't say the Americans are doing it. You'd say, oh, the Russians are doing it. When it's like, actually, like, more, more accurately, that was that was the other side who that was more interested in that. Yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah, uh, I think yeah, there's a certain like hysteria about Russia, particularly um, in the US. I think that's also there in the UK a bit now. Um, thinking about accusations around Donald Trump and the things that have have come out of that. Um, sure, and people are saying that Corbyn's uh, uh, compromised now, right? That's like that's the. I, I should make it clear at this point. I don't. I don't. The Russia stuff doesn't do anything for me. I don't. I don't buy into it at all. No, um, which actually is kind of an unpopular opinion in the U.S. But uh, yeah, um, so yeah, I feel I... like everyone is a, everyone who is who is bad now in someone's eyes is now compromised by the Russians. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's why I was going to ask you about. Um, obviously, someone who's experiencing that <laughs> in America. So there's this, as I say, this very kind of strange obsession with russia and i just want to say before i'm not saying that like i would not say that the the prospect of russia trying to interfere in elections is not something that wouldn't need to be investigated or that russia oh, is yeah. good or like obviously putin is like horrible um i know. think there's plenty of things that russia probably did and like i think i think there's money from oligarchs that is propping up trump i, I don't i, I mean I think that's probably certainly true. Like it's, it would be no surprise if Russian oligarchs were interested in installing a more reactionary government in America. That would make total sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it's kind of um, seems to become something. As we say, it seems to become like a, a hysteria. Um, like, would, yeah. would you say it's got like? Uh, oh, it's it too much to call it like pitch. a second like Red Scare or uh, maybe not quite that far. I don't know. Well, I was, it's it's such a it's such a weird Red Scare, right? Because like it. I think like the some of like the resistance quote unquote people have taken it that way where like you know oh Putin's ex KGB and like they'll they'll say Trump's a communist and stuff but I think people by and large understand that Trump is not a communist like I think people by and large understand the difference between words and and their definitions um I, I guess like it's become this weird it's not so much a red scare as it is like just an easy explanation for people that don't want to say like, they don't want to admit that politicians are often just bad people, right? Like, like Lindsey Graham, for instance, is a, is a Senator in America. I don't know how, how familiar his name is outside of America, but he, uh, he's a very conservative Senator. Um, before, before the election, he was part of this, this coalition of conservatives that were called never Trumpers, right? The never Trumpers said, Oh, you know, I will, it's, it's, this is the end of the party if he if he joins and I will stand up and of course they didn't right like everyone saw that coming from a mile away sure but but Lindsey Graham didn't 
And now Lindsey Graham is like basically, you know, with the whole uh, the the big uh, controversy right now is the the this uh, judge appointment to the Supreme Court of Donald uh, Donald Trump's uh, appointee is um, almost certainly a serial sexual abuser, as we've uh, sort of uncovered over yeah. the past couple of weeks, and he'll almost certainly still get confirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lindsey Graham has become like just frothing at the mouth crazy about this. Um, like just extremely into getting him, getting Kavanaugh, um, the person who's, uh, maybe getting appointed, appointed. Um, and I can't tell you how many replies in like news threads I've accidentally seen by opening them in full Twitter that just say like, he's in Russia's pocket. Russia, Mueller, who's the, the lead investigator, like investigate Lindsey Graham. Like Lindsey Graham is a Russian. Like, it's just easier to say like he's just like not a good person he's he's kind of a coward and spineless and has really cruel politics i think that's just as easy to say than like oh some russian oligarchs have um, compromise on him which is why he's uh being a huge conservative jerk Hmm. so i've seen you mentioned seeing people like blaming that on russia i've also seen stuff like I've seen people blaming school shootings on Russia, um, saying that it's uh, yep. kind of their I've seen Black Lives that- Matter. Black Lives Matter was at one point like one of the people Eric Garland suggested that that was uh, that was actually uh, fomented by Russia. That Ferguson was a Russia thing. Yeah. Well, and I it's mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you get like these are kind of I guess more extreme examples, but also I've seen, for example. Glenn Greenwald, the the journalist, being accused of being a Russian agent because um, by this is by I th- I think I think it's a guy called David Frum. I don't know if you know him. Oh like, sure, yeah. So I'm kind of I obviously am a step removed from from like American kind of political culture, but I, I've picked up enough through Twitter to kind of. Well, I, for my, I've kind of surmised that he's a massive dickhead, but I don't really. Yeah, no one likes David Frum. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, he's, he's, he is like he's a, he's ostensibly, you know, what people consider. A, well, I've been quite much a serious journalist. You, know? I mean, he's not like. Well, he's he, those, he is a crank, but he's not just some random person. What I'm saying is, this isn't just some like, those, random like, person uh, blaming. Yeah, intellectual conservatives like people want George Will or like um, uh, Buckley or whatever William F. Buckley like. People just demand this sort of fantasy of like conservatives who like, even though we didn't agree with them, by God, they had a great argument or something like that, right? And like from from's just the the newest iteration of that attempt. Mm-hmm. I think it's like it's just weird though, because like any more, and this is actually what I what I think is kind of charming about Snatcher or interesting, even like a uh, politically interesting about Snatcher, is like it seems like the Russia hysteria in America. is just basically any time someone points out a way that America isn't very good. Like if, which I mean, we're doing more and more to our credit. Uh, when I was, when I was a kid, no one would really point out that America was bad and now people are just doing it all the time. So, you know, we're making progress, but, um, uh, whenever anyone points out and says like, actually, you know what? Like, yes, of course, like things are bad under Trump, but, uh, you know, in 1991, uh, Rodney King and the LA riots happened and, uh, it, things have been bad for people of color forever. Um, it seems like people just want to then say a certain group of people just want to then say, yeah, well, we were doing a lot better until the Russians came along and made us bad again. Like the, the sort of like narrative of American goodness is, uh, is just, that's the last line of defense where like we, we, we have to be the protagonists of history. And the only reason we're not is because uh, Russia stumbled in at the last minute and ruined everything. Mm. I think Russia and like more broadly, 
sort of communism and the communism that was in Russia is a very useful device for people. Like, um, so yeah. I, I mean, I talk a lot about uh, obviously uh, anti-utopianism as well as utopianism, and um, this would be uh, one of those, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the things that you, uh, I mean, we do have. We have kind of like new fascisms, fascisms emerging, but we also have new kind of um, revitalized leftist movements and people talking more about socialism and communism. And R- Russia becomes a very useful device in that um, scenario for mm-hmm. anti-utopians and establishment to go uh, gulags, gulags, like they, yeah, they, they right. do, <laughs> so that's Russia yeah. and Venezuela. Those are, those are their favorite ones. Yeah. So whenever that, where, basically what I'm saying is whenever, um, an actual political stu- discussion starts to take place as in terms of not politics, in terms of like the minutiae of electoral politics, but like, you know, like politics, ideology, like completely different ways of living. This yeah. What a very you useful way. Russia yeah. or communism becomes a very useful kind of bogeyman to try and like shut that down i guess which absolutely um, well i mean what's 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 interesting about snatcher then is like these they're like they're the ghosts of an ideology right like there's no there's not really a russia left no it's been uh, it's been we, destroyed like yeah you know. like all of all of your like the, they're vague about it but basically all of central and um eastern europe is is like not only uninhabited but there was almost there was the third world war was was fought because uh people wanted to take it over and i think like the the sort of like remaining russians wanted to take it over and then it didn't work and now that whole area is just basically a no man's land uh it's a dmz i guess kept up somehow by peacekeeping forces i i have no idea it's a, not very well thought out but um i mean there are russians left but like by and large, they've lost 80% of their population and they're just, like, a, a shell of themselves. So, like, the Snatchers are are there trying to, like, achieve power for their communist overlords, but there aren't any overlords left. It's just, like, the machine's running without a brain, which I think is kind of powerful in a certain way to think, like, you know, the, the, the things we put into motion um, in the service of our ideology stay in motion even after our ideologies are gone. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely it's kind of like feels like a like a haunting of like something that's dead. It's like because the the snatchers are kind of the idea is that they're kind of carrying this on like they've been created for a purpose to carry out this ide- ideology uh, by an authority, but that's now gone, and they're kind of autonom- right. autonomously just following that through like by themselves. So yeah, it's kind of a strange idea. Yeah, and it. It, it speaks to the whole like the whole premise of understanding them, which is like the junkers know certain things about the snatchers, and the snatchers know things about the junkers, and like it is. I mean, uh, do you know the game? It just came out. Um, do you know the game um, Spy Party? Have you seen that? Yeah, that's the one where there's where like you have to like it's like multiplayer thing. Where you have yeah, to and like one person, yeah, one person plays the spy, and one person plays a sniper who's going to shoot the spy, basically, and. uh and like you have to pick out who's 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 at the party. Um, so your job as the sniper is to find the spy, but your job as the spy is to like try and remain inconspicuous. And you sort of have that relationship with the snatcher and the junker, where it's like we all know, both of us know we're out there. We just have to keep this kind of tête-à-tête up, where neither of us tips our hand enough so that I know, you know that you know that I know, and that I know that you know. Uh, that would be the bad situation. So we have to keep everything kind of vague and and strange. So all the information about the snatchers are like 
oh, they have a little weak point on their head or uh, their skin is artificial. It's it's just it's it's it comes in like trickles. It's it's fascinating because it's like it's exactly like that kind of that rumor uh, mill of dead technology that was such a um, that was such a thing before, you know, instant Internet debunkings and things like that back in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, before we move on, I wanted to ask you one more thing about the kind of Russia as a way to like avoid politics, which is Please. to talk about the uh, the kind of how Russia's been used for like the Democratic Party, um, mm-hmm. which uh, to me uh, externally appears to primarily be used as an excuse to accept responsibility for losing to trump and it's its own failings yeah is that it's fair? pretty rough i i wish they'd stop talking about it um because the, narr- the, the be- narrative right is is still that the reason that trump won the election is because russia rigged it there's been no kind of uh from, no, the, from never... the democratic party party institution there's been no kind of uh soul searching on their own kind of no ideological bankruptcy and absolutely not like and and in fact, even even less than that, where like the the main the main people, like the heads of the party, uh, particularly like Nancy Pelosi, who's the the sort of like um, the the House majority figure or minority figure at this point, but she's basically like she well no not anymore Chuck Schumer's that, but for a while she was basically the party whip. She basically had a thing a whole thing that went viral because she was like, yeah, you look like we're a party of capitalists, like we don't we don't we like capitalism in this party. Um, and just like totally misread the room and the, there's, you know, Chuck Schumer has said a million things about like, well, when we get back into power, we'll reinstate norms instead of doing what every Democrat or leftist wants them to do, which is, um, play exactly as hard as the Republicans do in getting their horrifying regressive policies. And like, you know, they just want to keep playing fair and and saying like, America was already great. Let's go back to that. Mm. It's, it is, it is just, it's basically like if you look at UK politics and you see like, okay, there's labor, there are the Tories and then there are the Lib Dems. Um, the, the sort of like completely flaccid central centrist party. Um, basically we don't have labor. We just have the Tories and the Lib Dems. And you, you just sort of are stuck with the Lib Dems being like, well, you know, it's not perfect, but it it's it, it follows the rules. Well, we, we've actually, we've kind of got that, like, within Labour as well. That's kind of the... Oh, yeah, right, Labour, yeah, the, sure. Yeah, that's kind of the, the bout. I mean, it's basically all the Labour members and the leadership at the moment, but then, like, yeah, a lot of the... It's kind of it's similar in a sense in that a lot of the institutions of the Labour Party and a lot of the actual MPs are still like the democrats basically like they are fundamentally happy with the way things were before um there's actually a lot of the, the problems that they've had with in terms of fighting against brexit as well where they're kind of their idea is like oh um well the, the idea in the first place was we need to uh not have brexit because it would make things bad. So we just need to keep things as they are. Like ignoring the fact that <laughs> things were bad for a lot of people. And that's still the argument that some right, people yeah. make. Like we need to go back to the way things were, which is like well, it's not it, really a very good motivating argument for lots of people. It, it just creates, and I mean like this is absolutely the, the, the reason Russia's used in casual arguments, the same reason Democrats use Russia insofar as like you get this kind of like political cosplay or political like, even though, like almost a fandom where where you're where all of a sudden like George W. Bush says like Trump is definitely bad 
And every Democrat's like, don't you remember when we had class in the White House? Mm. And then immediately George W. Bush is like calling his powerful friends and saying, be sure to vote for Kavanaugh. And like, you know, you can't say anything about that. You've totally been had. So all you could say is Russia made Kavanaugh happen. And it's, I mean, it's the same thing with like Blairites, right? Where like you can say like, well, um, Things were better back then, and then someone's like, "Well, what about the like? What about the the fires at Grenfell? Like that is something you had a part in." Yeah, and it's like, don't don't you guys remember when the U.S. and the U.K. were friends and went to Iraq together? Like it's <laughs> it's just it's just this weird, it's this weird politics of sentiment that has it it not only has no content, it falls apart at every possible turn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as much as I enjoy uh, <laughs> bashing liberals, <laughs> do we should probably yeah. things. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's move on. So, um, I the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of some of the gender relations to the game, and uh, yeah, I thought about as, that too. Yeah, um, some toxic masculinity. I think would be fair to say. Um, so this is. How I about, think how about the. Uh, how about the smell command that you can? <laughs> oh man, yeah. That when talking to women, you can choose to smell them. Yeah. That was a uh, that was a little crazy. That was a little rough. Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can basically hit on every woman in the game. Uh, obviously, none of the men. Uh, I mean, no, I think some not. of them you're are spent, super I mean, straight. <laughs> yeah, despite some of them being very young as well, and your character is meant to be like middle aged, I guess. Um, Do you think they changed some of that in localization? Like when they said, don't get any ideas, Gillian, she's only 18. I thought in my mind, I was like, I bet before localization that was 16. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I was going to say, um, do you think that kind of, um, so I mean, a, a lot of people who had looked down on video games, I think would think of that as a, a video game thing, which I don't think I mean, is, it is entirely. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I, was gonna, I mean, this is, this is something that Kojima does a lot though, as well. So yeah, I was going to ask you: Is this like, do you th- see this as like a Kojima thing or a video? It's game such thing? a Kojima thing. Oh, absolutely! Like it. What I mean, the real Kojima thing is Mika, the the person at the office who's ostensibly like quite a powerful figure in the Junkers. Like she says, she's the administrative assistant, but she basically like runs the entire administration. That isn't you know just like ops and stuff, right? But she is just kind of like a, a wilting rose in front of in front of Gillian who just like constantly flirts with her um with no consequences um and like that's very kojima i think some of the other stuff is it's before kojima kind of got crafty about hiding this part of his work where like you know in metal gear solid uh was it 5 when quiet showed up i can't remember i don't yeah. know if you've played them yeah yeah so like it, it Quiet is like a very scantily clad sniper who can't speak. And of course, everyone was like, oh, you introduced a woman who can't have speaking lines who only wears a bikini. And Kojima was like, well, uh, she breathes through her skin, so she has to have it exposed. That's the reason for it. Like, maybe maybe read some of the canon before you get upset. Yeah. Like, this doesn't even have that veneer. (laughs) Yeah. This yeah, I think that like this aspect is still like you say, perhaps better hidden. Like I still think you find it in video games a lot. Like now, um, like I mean, there's a bit like at the end, three of the women like show up, and it's kind of like I don't know, it's kind of like a teenager sexual fantasy. Like they all, <laughs> um, they're basically like his wife's there with two other women who are kind of all um, hinting that like they're into it like one of them says right. um our relationship has gone beyond just being friends so i mean that's so you've got these three women like kind of staying there 
love and, and so, or sexual desire for him in front of each other without any kind I think, of... I think you can reverse it. I think you could say sexual desire and or love. Like, I think yeah, like, the, the sexual desire is definitely <laughs> yeah. on, on the surface more. Like, it's it, it's so weird because, like, it's it's so shoehorned in. It, it really speaks to, like, an older era of gaming. Or maybe, like, maybe, I mean, it might just speak to the genre of the um, visual novel, which does this more often because, like, visual novels are often dating sims. But, like... I, you know, I don't think something like Silver Case or I'm trying to think of other good, like, crime visual novels, but Silver Case is a good example. Like, I don't think there's a lot of relationship options in that. And if there are, they're probably a little more uh, nuanced than, you know, like, they're, uh, a good example. So Isabella, the daughter of uh, uh, Gibson, who's killed, um, <laughs> it's like, when you meet her, you can, there's an option in your actions called do something when you talk to any woman, which is uh, a truly cursed option. Um, and generally it's uh, console, wipe her tears away, and persuade. Um, yeah. And if you persuade, you ask them out on a date pretty much. Mm. And Isabella's response to you if you ask her out on a date when she like just found out her dad died is, are you kidding me? Which like a good response, but you still can talk to her. You basically can sexually harass these women all you want. And they just kind of hang around Like mm. you're leering at them and touching them. And basically they just go, Oh, Gillian. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable. Like it's shoehorned in for no reason. You mm. could take that whole element out and lose literally nothing from slats from snatcher. Yeah. Although I will say, um, that it is particularly bad in this game. I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily unique. Well, what I don't think is unique to video games is we quite often have um, visions of the future, like utopian or dystopian, where there's a great deal of technological advancement, but somehow this doesn't seem to have changed, like uh, the power of women or uh, gender relations or whatever you'd want to call it, despite the fact well, it's that... it's like the... Sorry, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, go on. Oh, it's like the Demolition Man problem, right? Where, like... Uh, have you seen Demolition Man yeah. recently? Oh, not recently, uh, but like, I've seen it quite a few times. So. Yeah, it was it was like the first R-rated movie I ever saw. That and Judge Dredd, so it sticks in my mind. Um, but the the end of Demo, like, so the the sex in Demolition Man is like is always my most instructive element of this, where they have to have virtual sex because they're so terrified of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Um, and that's like very. It, it seems like because um because it's introduced by the female lead, like. It's very much a is that Sandra Bullock? Yeah, I guess. Um, it it seems like very much a female solution. Like, oh, this is safe, um, but it's just not as good. And then at the end of the movie, Sylvester Stallone kisses her, which is like extraordinarily taboo in their society, and mm. she totally melts and becomes extremely subservient. And it's mm. basically like, oh, this technological advancement. We all know what women really want. Yeah, like, that's always undergirding this stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely right. The other thing I want to, to talk about on this subject is um, Elijah Modner, who is kind of the the bad guy behind this. Or he's the one who uh, kind of mobilised the snatchers, and right. he's kind of like an incel, I suppose you would say that, <laughs> because he's he's that's fair. He's obsessed with Jamie, who is. Um, Gillian's wife, we've already mentioned, uh, kind of a strange wife. And he says that, like, you know, he's creepily talking about her, like explaining his motivations about how he always wanted to be near her all the time. And I think there's actually a phrase in, in there where he says um, this whole thing about the catastrophe that killed 
all these people and this, all the snatcher stuff. He says, Jamie's beauty is the cause of it all. And that's basically like the ideology of incels, right? The idea that a woman, a woman withholding sex from a man is the cause of civilization's problems. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, like, and it's, it's even like, there's even an element of like, it's in a world where catastrophe seems to be totally random and people have even given up trying to explain what happened. Right. It always still like still the if you dig deep enough, a woman did yeah. <laughs> like it's like, well, who knows where Lucifer Prime came from? We don't have to worry about it or we don't have to worry about it. It's fine. Like it, it happened and it's really upsetting, but we'll have our biologists think about it a little more. Like, let's just move on as a society. And then like one brave detective finds out that it was his wife's fault. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of sucks. Yeah, and it, and the weird thing is, and I think I don't know. There's a suggestion that the game maybe thinks you should sympathise with this um, motivation. Well, yeah, because no, it, she's, I mean that's, that's says, a very yeah. that's a very very um, uh, very very Kojima thing. Where like I mean, you look at like Liquid Snake or like the best version of this. Weirdly, and he, he never really follows up on it in the right way. But the best version of this is in Metal Gear Solid Three, where the uh, the bad guy is the original boss and it's a woman and she's like a super compelling villain. Like she's a great villain. Like she's super fun and super interesting. As I remember, it's been a while. So no, I maybe think it's much worse than I that's thought. That's definitely his best, possibly his only good female character. I think. <laughs> it might be. I wouldn't, I mean, I guess people liked Rose, but I don't know. Like it didn't really do much. No. Yeah. I mean, I think like that's certainly fair. There aren't, there aren't any contenders in Snatcher for sure. Um, but it was it was cool like it was cool to think about like oh you know like there's this relationship here and it's a mentor relationship and you know there's betrayal that way but it's not it doesn't have to do with her being a woman but she's still a female character like that was cool but he does that with all of his characters it's not just her like liquid snake is the same way and big boss and all these characters are like they're evil because something happened and they're just like people making good decisions that the decisions end up being evil you know, or they or they end up being misguided. Like I think that's very true of all of his characters. It's just that Elijah is um, a much harder sell to tell us he's good. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> some of those characters. I mean, they've at least had. I mean, I think like Psychomantis already mentioned. I think like he's when he was a kid, like his whole village was murdered or burned down or something like that. Whereas Elijah Modner just didn't get to have sex with a woman that he wanted to have sex with so it's kind of a bit more hard to uh sympathize with that i think yeah exactly no it's like it's just it's just like uh why would anyone like if you put it in real world terms if you found out that like on the level of probably billions of people had died because this guy was like pretty frustrated about sex i mean i i I can't even imagine the the furthest of of mra being like yeah that's the woman's fault there it's like you shouldn't have blown up that lab. I'm sure they would manage to blame it. I mean, yeah, I just I just said that out loud, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, it's always it's uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, but yeah, no, I mean, the, I think like this is the weird conflict in this game, right? Where there's so much that's good about it. Like, I I posted a thing from like I'll see if I can find it, like uh, the actual language, because I, I I really liked what it said. Like, it was um oh yeah, there's there was a whole discussion. Did you get to the whole discussion in Outer Heaven where like. I forget what you had to talk to about to see it, but like Gillian talks with Metal Gear about how uh, how like video games were used as an excuse by people who were like mad about violence and they were wrong and those senators were voted out of office. It's when you like look at the characters in the club and one of them's from Lethal Enforcers. Oh, okay. um, 
so they have a number of stuff like that. But the one was like, here it is. It's from it's from the Jordan. So it says it's talking about the the city, um, and it's talking about the slums. So it's uh, we can you know we'll go right back around. It's talking about the South, and it says well, government proposals to remedy the situation have been discussed for a number of years. Debate over implementation methods, civil rights, and the like has prevented any actual progress from being made. Approximately 30% of the city's total area is officially recognized as falling outside of the municipal data administration districts, and at least another 10% is believed to be similarly beyond government control, though not yet designated as such. And it's just this, like, this perfect distillation of exactly what the 21st century is going to be, where, like, disaster is going to happen and governments will acknowledge the disaster and do nothing to fix it. And it's, it's, it's very, very cogent. And, I, you know, I, I posted this and someone was like, well, of course, it's cyberpunk. Like, cyberpunk always is cogent that way. But that's not true. Like, some cyberpunk doesn't get it. Some yeah. cyberpunk is just like, this is cool neon or whatever. Like, this yeah. definitely understands how things would devolve in that kind of situation. It's extremely um, smart that way. And then it has all these all these dumb notes in there that you're just like, why is this in here? What is going on? Hmm. Yeah, um, I was going to kind of search for a nice way of uh, kind of um, rounding this all up, but I think that was quite nice. Um, it, oh, it, thank you. it is, uh, yeah, it, uh, kind of indicative of Kojima, I think. Often some very interesting and uh, provoking stuff uh, mixed in with some really terrible, uh, uh, regressive things as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, um, thank you very much for coming on. It's been fun talking to you. No, thanks for having me. This was really fun. Uh, where can people go to find your podcast and so forth if they would like to? Uh, I'm on iTunes, I, and I, I thought I was on Google Play, but I guess that's maybe not true. I'm on most podcast services, though, as uh, as just no cartridge or no cartridge audio. You can find me there. Spelled exactly how you'd think. No no fancy spellings. Um, uh, it's also at no-cartridge.net. Um, from there, you can get to the Patreon and, the, the, any, and most of the content. Um, but if you want, I do like readings of marks and stuff like that on uh on the patreon sometimes it's kind of an interesting series of bonus content that's just patreon.com backslash hegelbon um but other than that no like i mean that's that's it and then you can go to my twitter twitter's hegelbon um h-e-g-e-l-b-o-n and i kind of spend way too much time on there cool okay well thanks again thank you paul so that is the end of my conversation with trevor i hope you enjoyed it as always if you want to get in touch with me um if you've got any uh, questions about stuff coming in the episodes or feedback or um, anything else then you can get in touch uh, via email at utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com you can get in touch on twitter at utopianhorizons and on facebook at facebook.com slash utopianhorizons i'm not quite sure when the, epi- the next episode is going to be released i originally had planned uh, to have something ready to go like a week after this one but that um, had to get delayed for reasons that can't be helped. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to, to sort of... I'm going to try and get, some, I'm going to try and get something else uh, ready as soon as I can, but I'm not sure exactly what that'll be. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if you're looking for more to listen to, there are extra bonus episodes that you can get on the, via the Patreon at patreon.com slash utopianhorizons. So um, yeah, I'd appreciate it if you could uh, check that out and you can see what's available on there. In fact, I'm guessing some of you are probably uh, coming to listen to this for the first time from uh, Trevor's podcast, No Cartridge. So also there's a whole back catalogue of stuff. There's, uh, yeah, if you're into video stuff, there's an episode on Bioshock Infinite. And yeah, there's all kinds of books and films and uh, interesting things that I've already done. So yeah, have a have a look back through and see, uh, see if there's anything there that takes your fancy. 
Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please uh, consider recommending it to someone you think might like it or um, tweeting about it or giving me a review or whatever. That would be cool. I'll be back as soon as I can. Cheers. Bye. Bye.